Welcome to Creative Brainery's new podcast series, The Intersect. We are all interconnected. Fear not the different, the unheard, the new. The Intersect is nuanced conversations about inequity in Canada and beyond. We explore intersectionality with powerful people and their stories. An added bonus, our resources segment gives you tools to approach and cope with discussions of race and identity at home, at school, and with friends and family. Who are we? I'm Jessie LaHale. I'm Annie O'Hanna. So here we are, having conversations. This is The Intersect. Today on The Intersect. Today's episode is all about the roots of oppression. We're going to kick things off with a great equation. O equals P plus P plus D. Then we're unpacking the roots of oppression with an activity called Two Trees Activity. And then we're talking about Taylor Swift. And we're going to wrap things up with a great spectrum of resources that we've lined up for you. From a coloring activity, an online test, a great book, and some website resources. With everything we do, we always need to recognize that we in fact stand on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, and specifically today, the Kwantlen, the Ketsi, and the Semiamu. To be clear, unceded means that the land was stolen, it was never traded, it was never bought, it was not even won in war. So we recognize the injustice that started from that moment. And as the show is called, The Intersect, that we always, realize that with Indigenous understandings, that is key to being intersectional. Hi, Jesse. Hey, Annie. And hello to all the listeners out there. Are you ready to talk about intersectionality? I sure am. The word oppression is thrown around a lot, often co-opted and distorted into shallow shouting matches about how life is unfair and very damaging and quite erroneous concepts such as reverse racism. The goal today is to break down the component pieces of oppression in a hopefully easy fashion that allows for conversations to flourish around what exactly is oppression, and when used as a lens onto any one experience, policy, or reality, individuals can gauge to a much more nuanced approach the shades of oppression that may or may not be present. Have you heard the song by Naughty by Nature, OPP, with the most famous line being, You down with OPP? Yeah, you know me. Well, here's a remix. You down with OPPD? No, you don't know me. Did you catch that? OPPD? OPPD is actually an equation of sorts. Let's break it down. O is oppression, which when broken down equals three and admittedly simplified parts. The first P equals prejudice. The second P equals power, and the D equals discrimination. Our equation, therefore, when you have prejudice combined with power and then discriminate, you get oppression. So, what is the point of this equation? I found it the most useful when wanting individuals to understand in a more specific way what oppression truly entails— but to also highlight the three components as more universal realities that affect us all. Prejudice is a very powerful term, a preconceived opinion which most importantly is not based on reason or actual experience. 
Think of all the stereotypes and tropes our society utilizes in marginalizing people of color, women, LGBTQ folk, and more. There is no one that can truly say they don't hold any prejudice. When many speak to the negative force of white privilege, I've heard some throw back the notion of people of color not being perfect either. What about black people, they say? What about brown people, one might suggest? Rather than outright discount these examples, what if we redefine them under the concept of prejudice? Can a person of color hold prejudicial views on people of a different heritage of their own? Of course they can. This recognition that we all, as human beings, need to break down our own beliefs and realities, rather than simply blaming the other, is a powerful way to drill deeper into the concept of oppression. But let's be clear, prejudice alone doesn't equal oppression. When we speak to systemic realities, power and its dynamics are essential. Power is the reason reverse racism simply does not exist. Without power, one cannot oppress at a large scale. We don't have the time to explore power dynamics to any great length today, but there are many forms from coercive power that police might have to legitimate power that a teacher may possess. In whatever form, power gives us a larger field of operation within which our prejudice can exist in. The last component of oppression is discrimination. Discrimination refers to the actual prejudicial behavior. It is prejudice operationalized and used. Yes, this can be on an individual level at times, but when we speak to systemic oppression, we refer more to policies, laws, institutions that put into practice in legally binding mechanisms the prejudice that is present and reinforces it through dynamics of power. So, the challenge lies with you to dig deep the next time someone uses that word, oppression. Does the situation as presented contain prejudice, power, and discrimination? To be clear, we are not saying that oppression doesn't exist, but rather that in using this equation, we have a stronger definition of oppression. And in reverse, that within the equation lies the solution. Social justice means true systemic change. If one can understand the roots of the oppression within the prejudicial concepts of race, for example, then we can work towards a new definition of different human beings that don't choose to live in restrictive negative boxes. If we see discriminatory policies, we can work towards the elimination of such discrimination through legal remedies. And when power is at play, an understanding of who, how, and why certain groups maintain power over others can be essential to the overthrowing of oppressive structures. Remember the song, you down with OPPD? No, you don't know me. You're listening to The Intersect. Oppression in its lived experience is terrifying, overwhelming, and trauma-inducing. I often wonder, how do I speak to traumatic experiences without overwhelming others to the point of becoming numb and shutting down? Realistically, I want to hear the reality of their experiences and then to be able to figure out how to take on this oppression. So 
Here's a great tool that Annie actually created. It's called the Two Trees Activity. Imagine two trees, roots splayed out at the bottom, a strong trunk, and branches with leaves forming the canopy. And now take a topic. Let's take domestic violence, for example. We know that the statistics are damning when it comes to violence against women, that one in three women will face some sort of harassment or violence in their lifetime. How does one take such a statistic, that lived experience, and break it down? Simply speaking, the roots and soil represent the underlying beliefs of the society which feed the tree. Are women seen as equals? Is it a patriarchal society? What are the dress codes like? Do we have an extreme gender binary that holds strong stereotypes? From there, the roots and its beliefs grow the trunk, which represents practices. If the tree is growing based on a patriarchal system, what practices form? From gender side to inequitable access, to objectification of women in the media, to the role of women in the home, these and more form the trunk of the tree. We finally find ourselves in the canopy. From the practices grow long-standing traditions, policies, and legal codes that govern our world. The reality is that change can come at this level, but be aware. Yes, we can pass gender equality policies. Yes, we can add women to the workforce. Yes, we can have gender-balanced cabinets. But as nature goes, does trimming the canopy solve the underlying deeply followed practices and beliefs? Do surface-level changes truly deal with the poisonous soil feeding the roots? The purpose of the second tree, therefore, is to then break down what a world free of domestic violence might entail. What would we have to believe as a society? What practices and behaviors would we see in our community? And what would our legal processes and policies look like? Once again, a striking visual image forms, and with it, possible solutions that take us far beyond anything charitable and into the realm of justice. Confront, unsettle, disrupt, show up, speak up, speak out. So Annie, let's put OPPD into action using Taylor Swift. Let's talk about that recent case that she was involved in. Absolutely. And Taylor Swift maybe being the tip of the iceberg um, as, as we see it. So really, Taylor Swift, uh, that whole incident and, and the aftermath of that incident until the very recent court case uh, is a perfect example of sexism in action. So let's look at sexism as an oppressive structure and let's break that down. And very much Taylor Swift being a celebrity has little to do with this because actually it proves the point of how oppressive the structure is that even a celebrity, a white celebrity, a celebrity with money, a celebrity with many years of fame, uh, can't escape the structure in itself. So let's start with the first P, prejudice. And to be clear, I know when I heard the Taylor Swift story, I could think of any number of friends, colleagues, myself, that have been through similar experiences. And so therefore, to me, it's, it's a very universal experience for all women to have to deal with this. So prejudice, unfortunately, is very universal uh, in that we do live in a society that openly objectifies women. So any number of people out there can think of an example of whether it's through the media uh, whether it's through certain jokes that are told by, by male friends, by male colleagues. And so you have this environment 
uh, you have this basic notion that women are less than, uh, women, it's okay to objectify women, uh, women are sexual objects. And that's very much where a lot of people uh, see or, or place women in that box. Well, now let's go to power. And power is an interesting one because in a more general way, power is usually the person that can very much control or dictate your life. So I think for most women, uh, let's say in the workplace, the reality is that the boss, the manager, the person that can hire you, promote you, fire you, when sexism comes from that, it is very hard to speak up right away and to smack down that comment or, or the hand, you know, up the skirt as, as Taylor Swift's example. But in terms of Taylor Swift, um, it was a radio interviewer. So absolutely, he had the power of media. He had the power to uh, put her in a very negative light. And so, and yet, if you think in terms of money, if you think in terms of her reach, maybe she had more power in that sense, but that wasn't enough. That really wasn't enough. And something striking to me, if you listen to the words of Taylor Swift, that even with all the power she has, the privilege she has, uh, the access she has, she still, during the court case, said simply, I had the right to say this was wrong. Really interesting. It's such a basic idea. Like you would think maybe if you have lived such a, um, a privileged life that you would take that as, as granted, right? I deserve better, right? I'm worthy enough. And yet here we have a person that says she didn't even realize that, that it took her time to get there. And that really the system, and I mean like the justice system, the media, that they wouldn't take it as that right away. Um, it's rather interesting to, to, say, to say that, right? That there had to be a trial, that it wasn't enough to say that man had no right to touch me. That still has to be taken to court. It's really fascinating. So the power dynamic there is very real. And like in society itself has these mechanisms in place that don't allow sexism to be seen as the terrifying reality that it is. Uh, last but not least is the discrimination. And in that sense, again, as I'm trying to go more general, but also to Taylor Swift's example, um, when someone believes that women are less than, that women can be objectified, uh, when they have the power uh, to really shut down the woman or, or make the woman feel that she doesn't have recourse, and this is done continually, that's discrimination. Or you're putting into place certain rules, certain dress codes, perhaps. Uh, we see this recently, I think, in the White House, where they said they wanted a more formal dress code for women. That's rather interesting when you try to break that down and think, well, what's really behind that, right? Uh, but really, then when you combine all these things, you realize very simply that a woman, be it, uh, well, wherever, but really in the workplace, and Taylor Swift was at work, as it were, as she was uh, in one of her concerts, that unfortunately what you have is a woman that feels she has no say that she has no right to say, you know, what you did was wrong to me. That it takes so much effort just to get that level of understanding that no, you don't have the right to do that. That's oppression. Because literally you have what is supposed to be an equal society with all these laws in place. And yet the majority of women, and in this case, yes, it includes white women, don't have the right to even say, I didn't consent to that joke. Uh, I didn't tell you you could touch me there. Literally, that becomes a problem 
It's you're causing a ruckus. You're too serious. Oh, come on, lighten up. Or that they're contemplating whether the photo was accurate or not. Absolutely. Yeah. So so you literally have people's, you know, expending energy, time and resources just just trying to to take away from Taylor Swift's story. How terrible is that when you are questioned? And let's be clear, that's that's always the case. It's always the victim that's told, prove yourself. Why this? Why that? Um, I, I could bring in a, a quick little example of, of UBC and, and even SFU for that matter. Um, several years ago, there, there, was, there was a case of six uh, sexual assaults on campus at UBC. And if you really think about what happened over the course of those several months, take it from a legal idea. Are women allowed to walk in the streets in Canada? Yes. Are they allowed to study in Canada? Yes. Are they allowed to attend a party in Canada? Yes. Everything that those women were doing was completely legal. And then they found themselves being sexually assaulted by, by a stranger. Why is it that no one ever questioned why that man or those men, I, I, don't, think, I don't know if they ever figured out who, uh, you know, how many people were involved. The stalking was illegal. The assault was illegal from the get-go. Everything the male did was illegal. Nothing the female did was illegal. And yet the focus was on the females. And not of them to protect them, to, uh, you know, to, to show, to commiserate with the experience or show sympathy or empathy. It really was to try to denigrate and to undo their stories because somehow maybe they didn't tell the whole truth. And we saw that with Taylor Swift. And I, I can say for the experiences I'm speaking to in terms of sexism, that many women fear that they will face so much negative kind of attention to the point of being fired, to the point of their livelihoods being taken away from them, that they simply don't speak. That's sexism. That's oppression. It's that level where literally you oppress the voice. If you have questions about our guests, content, or future topic requests, email us at hello at theintersectpodcast.com. Resources. Tools to approach and discover the intersections of today's episode as they apply to your world. Today's resources are meant to help you delve deeper into the components of oppression, but once again through finding the intersections in your life. First up is a very interesting test out of Harvard University that you can take online called Project Implicit. These are a series of tests meant to test in a rather easy fashion, I'd say, what implicit biases and prejudices you hold. I've used this in my classroom, and quite a few students have been surprised with their results. While we can all say that I'm not racist or I love all people, this test, through a series of very simple statements, delves deep into biases we would never truly admit to. The power of the test is not just to take it, but upon getting the results, to drill down into why such an implicit bias might exist within yourself. This test doesn't make anyone a bad person per se, but rather allows for a deep reflection on oneself, one's relationship to others in society, and just how an individual picks up the implicit biases they hold. The second resource is a coloring activity. Yes, a coloring activity. It's called the power flower. This activity comes from the University of Toronto and is called Ed Activism. What you'll find is a flower with three tiered petals, with the first section of petals delineating different categories ranging from geographical location, education, biological sex, family type, and much more. 
The goal is to consider where your power lies. Does your power in each category lie in the center, giving you the most privilege and power? For example, most people doing this activity will agree that the most powerful in society when it comes to biological sex would be a male. Or do you lie somewhere in the middle? Or perhaps on the outer tier of the pedal, within marginalized communities within that category? While the end result is an interesting array of colors that show your multi-dimensional reality of power and privilege. Even more powerful, perhaps, is the conversation you might have with colleagues and friends, even family, about how you define who is most powerful within any one category, who lies in the middle and who lays outside on the margins. The dialogue can be intense and yet quite meaningful as the discourse allows individuals to flesh out in much detail the realities of one's societal hierarchies. A third resource is a website that may be a good start for those looking to read a bit deeper into the topic of oppression. Certainly, there is a lot out there, and amazing people doing great work. The talent.ca slash resources is a compendium of resources allowing you to start to deepen your understanding of oppression. Of course, no one site holds it all. And I would highly recommend looking at readings that are written by those who face oppression. Examples include readers put together by groups such as Black Lives Matter. It isn't just enough to understand the definition. The lived and embodied experiences of those that are marginalized allow for a much deeper look at intersectional oppression. The fourth resource is a book by Paulo Ferrer called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It's a book anyone who is interested in how we lift systems of oppression should take the time to read as well. It's an empowering tome as it lays out the reality that knowledge already exists within the learner and that we don't have to bank knowledge into others. It also suggests ways to rehumanize both the oppressor and the oppressed. The idea that education must be liberatory in its approach is a much different understanding to the educational process and its role in society. The conversation is so much better when everyone has a voice. We are so happy that you could join us once again and hope that this was a fruitful discussion for you that allows you to explore the roots of oppression in a more meaningful, nuanced, and critical way, while allowing you to be empowered through this understanding, to understand actions one can take to start to reverse the systems of oppression we live under. As always, this is just a drop in the ocean, and yet, any amount of understanding we can gain, the more intersectional our lens into the world can become. Confront, unsettle, disrupt, show up, speak up, speak out. You've been listening to The Intersect with Jesse LaHill and Annie O'Hanna. Love what you heard? If so, pass along our web address, theintersectpodcast.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Creative Brainery production. Join us next time for another edition of The Intersect.